invite the rest of you to take your Bibles this morning, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 1 once again. I think we're looking at a book that uh, is very appropriate for the day in which we live, and uh, I trust it will be an encouragement to you. Thus far, the verses haven't been that encouraging, but uh, this is the Word of God. And uh, so we're going to treat it as such. So we're looking at created for pleasure. Created for pleasure this morning. And the entire book of Ecclesiastes is about life and the pursuit of man. One of the keys to understanding the message of this book is to understand the phrase, under the sun. Again and again, the preacher, or King Solomon, reminds us that under the sun there's nothing new. Under the sun, upon this earth, there is nothing that satisfies. Uh, After plunging into life and trying to find something to satisfy, Solomon declares over 30 times that all is vanity, emptiness. And he finds this emptiness, and that's what the life will be without Christ. Without Christ, life will be empty. Now we've looked at... uh, Chapter 1, verses 12 through 1 in our scripture reading. If you notice there in verse 17, verse 17, Solomon said, I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. To whom or what have we given our hearts? In chapter 2, verse 1, Solomon said, Therefore enjoy pleasure. Were we created for pleasure? And the answer is yes, but for whose pleasure? Now that's the goal of the world, is pleasure. People will work all week long to have a pleasurable weekend. Go out and do things that uh, are fun and uh, just uh, have a good time. King Solomon writes here, I the preacher was king over Israel in Jerusalem. He was the son of King David. He probably the most privileged man who ever lived. The queen of Sheba heard all about Solomon and and all that he had in his kingdom, and she did not believe that anyone in this earth could possess as much as was rumored about Solomon. So she decided to go and see for herself. She made that long journey across the desert, and after hearing about all the magnificence of the kingdom, she arrived in the presence of Solomon and declared that half of it had not been told. Solomon was living for pleasure. Look again what he says in verse 13 of chapter 1, And I gave my heart to seek and search out wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. I have seen all the works that are done under the heaven or under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. That which is crooked cannot be made straight, and that which is wanting cannot be numbered. He didn't just take a casual glance at life. He didn't just look at things kind of haphazardly. No, he investigated, he searched, he inquired, and he did so much of this that he pushed his degree of intelligence as far as it could be pushed. He searched things out completely with everything that he could find available to help him to understand the matter under investigation. 
Here's a man who said he had done more than anyone had ever done. He knew more than anyone, humanly speaking, that is. Knew more than anyone has ever known, and he had more possessions than any man had ever had. And after all his searching, all of his investigation, he came to the conclusion that which is crooked cannot be made straight, and that which is wanting cannot be numbered. And we're bound in life like prisoners in human shackles, and we can never be satisfied. In chapter 2, verse 1, Solomon said, Therefore, enjoy pleasure. Now, by this he's declaring, do everything you can to satisfy the base feelings of your life and body because this is all the existence we have. This is all that life amounts to in this world. That's all there is. And that's the philosophy of this world. Enjoy it while you can. And so we're created for pleasure, but notice Whose pleasure? In Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, it says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. We were created for pleasure, but not to pursue our own pleasure. We were created for God's pleasure. And in this journey we call life, we find that we are constantly trying to satisfy ourselves, aren't we? Always trying to, to satisfy our lives with whatever we can, and yet we find we never are satisfied. We're always looking for something else. And yet, if we come to the place where we seek God and seek to please Him, He will bring joy and He will bring pleasure to our lives and the question is, are we going to live and die and stand before God before we realize that we were created for His pleasure? You know, everything functions best when it functions the way God designed it. He designed, designed our lives to function a certain way and that certain principles of moral decency. For example, He designed the family when He instituted the home in the Garden of Eden. He began the institution of marriage with Adam and Eve. He designed it a certain way. One woman, one man, one lifetime. He wrote things in his book about whoredom and adultery and other sins that violated the sacred institution of marriage in the home. And God has set the rules in order. And if we seek to follow him and realize that we're created for His pleasure, then pleasing Him will bring us to the, our greatest pleasure. And so look at this to, today and notice three things. First of all, the truth changed. I'm using the language of the Bible when I say the truth has been changed. Romans chapter 1 deals with the horrible degeneration of humanity. It moves from idolatry to immorality, where the perversion of life becomes the accepted lifestyle. In Romans chapter 1, and verse 25, it says, Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For the creature to be worshipped and served more than the Creator, the truth of God had to be changed. 
And so when God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the Creator was worshipped, not the creature. The Creator was served, not the creature. But the truth changed. It does not mean the truth actually changed. The truth still stands, but man is trying to change the truth of God, and that's what happened with Adam and Eve. Truth is still truth, but man has turned it around. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve worshipped God. They knew that God and God alone should be worshipped. They understood that He is the Creator and that without Him they were nothing. But in Genesis chapter 3, when the devil came along to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and said, wait a minute, God isn't being entirely honest with you. He knows that if you eat of the forbidden fruit, you're going to be as gods, and you're going to know good and evil, and you won't need God. Adam and Eve fell, and they fell for that lie, and they sinned against God. They went into sin, and sin entered into the bloodstream of all humanity. From that day to this, man in his natural state, which is sinful, seeks to please himself above all things and all motives. If we ask the natural man why he's here, he'll say, well, I'm only going to go through life once. I'm going to grab all everything I can, and I'm going to intend to do anything that thrills me. I'm going to do whatever brings me pleasure. It's the kind of world in which we find ourselves living. And the truth of God has been perverted. It's been changed. The second thing I want you to notice is the tragic consequence. The tragic consequence is that there is absolutely no way for a man who is living a lie to find satisfaction. All people need to hear this truth and see the truth lived and know the truth. I think most of you probably would give a similar testimony about how there was a day in your life when you thought you were right side up and the Lord Jesus lets you know you're really upside down. And when you, He turned you right side up, it really turned you upside down from the way you were. And He forgave your sin. He came to live in you and He was Uh, He has helped you to see that if we want to find satisfaction, we want to find purpose and fulfillment, we want to know true happiness in life, you have to live for Him and not for yourself. We're to seek Him. Our motive should be to please Him, not to please ourselves. We're created for pleasure, not to seek our own pleasure, but to seek Him because uh, we were created by Him for His pleasure. Hebrews 11 and verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Without faith it's impossible to please God. So if we have faith in him or we trust him, we can please him. Uh, The Lord has so designed us that we can please him, and we'll find our greatest joy and contentment in the Lord Jesus Christ. Solomon decided he was going to investigate everything he could about life. After all, he was invest- all his investigating uh, took place. He uh, was convinced that if anything was crooked, it could never be made straight. And if anything was lacking or wanting, he could not find out what it would take to satisfy it. Therefore, his advice was simply, enjoy pleasure. And this is a lie of the devil. 
people in our nation, around this world, are self-destructing destructing by living for pleasure. I don't know what the number is, but at one time it was some 3,000 teenagers every day contacted sexual transmitted disease. Why? Because all that matters was what brings pleasure. 1 Timothy 5, 6 says, But he that she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. In other words, even though someone may be living in pleasure, God says they're dead while they're living. The tragic consequence of this philosophy is that when we change the truth into a lie and worship the creature more than the creator, we are living death. We're told that when drug users get their first high, certain quantity of drugs can be measured to bring that degree of thrill. However, from that moment on, it takes just a little bit more, a little bit more. Each time, it takes a little bit more to bring that level of high. And the amount must continually be increased. God says this constant craving to be satisfied, to be pleased, to bring, bring pleasure is self-destructing. In Titus chapter 3 and verse 2, it says, To speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. God says there was a time when we lived for pleasure. When we only lived for pleasure. We, only, uh, we say that pleasure served us, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we stopped to the place where we could do anything for pleasure. Why do you think the pornographic industry is flourishing today? According to the New York Times, Americans spend more than $14 billion on pornography annually. And this is more than they spend on baseball, football, and basketball combined. The industry is flourishing because of the philosophy that we live for pleasure. Now Solomon was an expert in this area. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And they were all available to him. A man who had a thousand women around him has got to be some sort of expert, wouldn't you think? Solomon tried that way to seek satisfaction. He also went for drinking and for entertainment. And I suppose he could have put on a pretty good performance to make Las Vegas look like it was a sideshow in a circus. Solomon went all out for pleasure. But notice again what he says in chapter 2 and verse 1. I said in my heart, Go to now, I will prove thee with mirth. Therefore enjoy pleasure. And behold, this, is, this also is vanity. And I said of laughter, it is mad and a mirth. What doeth it? I sought in my heart to give myself into wine, yet acquainted my heart with wisdom and to lay hold on folly till I came or I might see that what was good for the sons of men, which they should do under the heavens all the days of their life. In these verses, Solomon is building a case for all uh, that is vanity by trying to find fulfillment in life through pleasure-seeking. And that's what we call hedonism. Hedonism is, a, is seeking pleasure in life. 
And he found that partying and entertainment led to further emptiness and frustration. And when the fun and the frivolity was all over, he would still be empty. And the playboy philosophy could not exist without the philosophy that we live for pleasure. The tragic consequence is that it takes more and more until finally we're looking at dead man, a dead man who eventually winds up in hell forever because he lived to serve and worship the creature instead of the Creator. So the truth changed. And we notice the tragic consequence of that. But I want you to know a more positive blessing that can come in a person's life, and that's by trusting Christ. By trusting Christ. In Romans chapter 8, verse 32, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? God says that if he, uh, if he were willing to give us his only begotten son, he would also freely give us all things that we need. Notice I said need, not want. I wonder, do we believe this? Well, there was a day in my life when I asked the Lord to forgive my sin and my faith, by faith, I received Him into my life. I certainly hope that everyone here can say the same thing. We heard two wonderful testimonies of how that took place in their lives this morning. And how many times before someone hears the gospel, they may be confused about spiritual matters, but some have the idea that someday God's going to put all good things they've done on one side and all the bad things done on the other side. And then they think that if there are more good things than there are bad, God's going to let them into heaven. Where does this idea come from? Well, many times people keep a close eye on things, and, and if they get behind on doing good things, they make sure they do something good to offset the bad. Or at least if they sense that the end of their life was near, they would pile on more good deeds, so make sure that they were okay. But Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all of our righteousnesses as, are as filthy rags, and we do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. The Bible says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I am a sinner, and my sin is against an infinite God. It deserves an infinite payment which means to die, to go to hell forever. And there's no payment as far as I'm concerned because I am a finite creature trying to pay an infinite debt against an infinite God. I cannot do it. But Jesus Christ, who is God, came from heaven. He became a man without ceasing to be God. He became a man yet without sin. He never sinned. He owed no sin debt but he could pay for my sin debt. He went to Calvary, and he bled, and he died for my sins on the cross, and the holiness of God was satisfied by the death of Jesus Christ for my sin. He was buried, and he rose again. He is alive forevermore. God accepted his payment, and this is why he can be faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this is what God has done for me and for many of you as well. We're thankful for what God has provided by his grace.
In Luke chapter 12, verse 30 and 31, it says, For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things, but rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. And I trust that God will help us not to just to th seek the things of this earth, but to seek Him. May we not seek to please ourselves, but to please Him. I've been married for almost 50 long years now. Really, it doesn't seem that long. And I thank, my, I thank God for my wonderful wife and five children, two son-in-laws, 11 grandchildren. I love my wife, and I believe she loves me. At least that's what she says. I know sometimes she gets frustrated with me, but I believe she still loves me. I thank God for the wonderful life that I enjoy. And yet I would hate to think where I would be today if it had not been for the Lord. Thank God for His goodness and His grace. Luke 12, 32 says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I want you to notice there the tenderness of the Lord. Just think of what God has in store for those who love Him. There's nothing worse in this world than living without Christ and then dying and going to hell. I trust you believe that. Think about a home without Christ, a family without Christ, a husband without Christ, a mother without Christ, children without Christ. There's nothing worse than a Christless eternity. And if this is true, and it is also true that there's nothing better than living for Christ and going to heaven to be with Him forever. We're created for pleasure, not to constantly seek it for our own selves, but to seek to please our Heavenly Father. The Bible says we were created for His pleasure. Anything in our life that does not please the Lord should be given to Him and yield to Him. He redeemed us by His precious blood, and all of my life should be given to Him. In our homes, it's not enough to say we're Christians. Christ must have the preeminence. We need Him. The world needs Him. And we need to do all we can to please Him. At the beginning of this study, I asked to whom or what have we given our hearts? What are we committed to this morning? 2 Timothy 3.14 says, But continue thou in the things that thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. In that verse, we see Apostle Paul charging young Timothy to stand strong, stay by the stuff. In the entire third chapter of 2 Timothy, Paul is warning Timothy to of the difficult times that lie ahead, and he encourages him to engage and to endure and to stay committed to the very end. You know, I think sometimes old-fashioned biblical commitment is a thing of the past. Just finding people who are committed to the unchanging Word of God these days is a difficult thing. I find more and more these days that people are less committed to their spouses than they were a few years ago. It seems that people are less committed to their companies, and their companies are certainly less committed to their employees. It used to be that men could be, could be so dedicated to an old Ford truck until the day they died, until along came a consumer report and another truck scored higher, 
and particular tests. And while some of those die-hard commitments still exist, by and large, they've lost in society in which we live. I just use that old Ford truck as a, an example because we can commit ourselves to so many things. But there was a day people chose church, chose churches based on the doctrine of the church. The first question they would ask is, what does this church believe about the Lord, about Jesus Christ? What does it believe about the Bible? What does it believe about the second coming of Jesus Christ? You know, people don't seem to be too committed or concerned about that these days. It seems more and more the questions that we hear more along the lines of, what do they have for me? What do they have that they can give me? While it's a worthy question when choosing a church, people don't seem to be as concerned with the greater questions of doctrine or what the church stands for. You see, the philosophies that are more prevalent in our country today are more about situational ethics, what it might we might be termed as accommodating theology. People want to know, so what can God do for me? What can I get out of this deal? Not so much about how can God change my life, but more of how can I, uh, but more of how can I fit God into what I already have going on. People want to commit these days to as little as possible. So many times, in this day and age, we change our commitments and sometimes convictions to serve self instead of the Savior. A committed Christian is one that is willing to move their likes, their loyalties, and their beliefs to come in line with the Word of God. If we truly want to live the authentic Christian life, we need to see God as far more than just a 911 number in the sky. Unfortunately, many Christians will call on God only after everything else has been tried and failed. You mean, I should pray about that? I've tried everything else. You mean I should pray? You know, we'll truly live the abundant Christian life when we put Jesus Christ first and foremost in our lives. He will not be the backup plan. It'll help us get out of a pinch. Will he be the one we seek before we ever make one single decision? What do you want, Lord? What's your will concerning this? The Bible does not tell us to seek the Lord last. It says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And so what are we committed to? Are we committed to pleasing the Lord? Are we committed to keeping our church biblically sound? Are we committed to doing our part to fulfill the Great Commission? And that includes right here in our community and around the world. Are we committed to seeing revival? Are we committed to growing in our knowledge of the Word of God? We are created for pleasure, but not our own pleasure but God's pleasure. And the question is, are we pleasing God in everything we do this morning? Let's bow in prayer.